The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hello there, everybody. Hello from London. But that's not really true because we're doing a pre-record before I go to London for VegFest UK. Actually, if you are listening at the regular Wednesday afternoon time when our show is generally live, um, I'll be flying back from London and probably a little bit sad because it's my favorite place. I'm very lucky that I live in New York City, so when I'm not in London, I don't have to be too sad. But next week, I'll be able to give you all the news of everything that happened at VegFest UK. And today, keeping in that spirit, we're going to be speaking after the first break with someone who was a, a presenter at the VegFest, and that is business expert Katrina Fox, who's just written a wonderful new book called Vegan Ventures. We're going to learn how to go into business. But we're going to open the show with someone who very successfully did go into a vegan business 10 years ago and is absolutely thriving. And this is Natalie Dean, who started really way back in 2001 Beyond Skin with Heather Whittle. They live in England. And, you know, there's so many vegan companies. Now, Beyond Skin, this is shoes. And they have the most adorable tagline. It is genuinely not leather. Don't you love that? And I'm always being contacted by people who say, we have this company, we have this product. I know, and I'm so happy you do. But I got to tell you about this particular company. They have won the Observer Ethical Award 
the Gracia Ethical Award, the RSPCA Good Business Award, the PETA Award. They have the most incredible vintage styling. So in their shoes, you get this wonderful combination of femininity, classic design, a kind of contemporary quirk. And their business ethics and their business practices and their vegan values are so spot on that I really wanted to introduce you to Natalie and Beyond Skin. So, Natalie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Victoria. What a lovely accolade. That was really very, very sweet of you to say. Um, And yeah, thanks for having us on. Well, I'm so happy to have you on. I love this thing when you say genuinely not leather, because for so long... It's, I remember going into a, a shoe repair shop with a really wonderful vegan bag, very high-end quality bag. And, and this person working behind the counter said, we don't work on plastic. Well, it wasn't plastic. But, you know, that kind of thing can hurt your feelings, even if you've been vegan a really long time. And I love that you're taking the whole other approach. Yeah, it's nice to be a bit tongue-in-cheek about it, isn't it? And just be it like- is. Well, give us a little history. First, uh, a little bit about you and then how this whole thing started. Okay, so Beyond Skin was was pretty much born out of a man- manifestation of myself becoming vegan from vegetarian after many years. So in 2000, I, yeah, I switched to veganism and literally had to, you know, kind of have a rethink about everything. And yeah, I tried to kind of like go, go, go through my wardrobe and replace my shoes. And I really struggled. And it literally was, um, yeah, it was, it's a manifestation of, of my veganism. So I had a friend that was a footwear designer and I went to see her and I was like, look, I feel like there's lots of people like myself that want really beautifully made non leather footwear that, that that's good quality and not kind of made of awful kind of plastics and PVCs. Um, and I'd like to make them. So we started out making hand making to order in the UK, in England. Um, um, and we literally had a tiny database and I, I contacted back then a few celebrities and started making for them, which was really nice, which helped us get in the media, um, which got us, got us some nice press. Um, and then as we grew and grew, we, um, we moved our production over to Spain because unfortunately England manufacturing isn't isn't really geared up for quantity. So, yeah, as we grew, we, we moved production and we've kind of not looked back. It's, it, it's really, you know, it's been, it's been a tough, tough going. I think we were a little bit before our time. But now veganism, particularly stateside, seems to be trending really amazingly. Um, you know, we've still got a long way to go, but, you know, it's on the map more than it has ever been before. So, Yes. Well, it's, I see that, and I see people kind of picking and choosing. And I know for those of us who are very committed vegans, it's like, no, don't pick, don't choose, just be vegan all the way. And yet I do know people who haven't quite gotten there with their diet, but they absolutely don't want to wear leather shoes or they don't want to wear um, cosmetics tested on animals. So, sure. you know, every single thing we do is is helping somebody. So you talked about the celebrities, and I know that your shoes have been worn by Natalie Portman and Anne Hathaway and, and Leona Lewis. What do you think about the whole celebrity involvement in veganism? It's so great when they're with us and so not great when they decide to switch. Yeah, quite. So, um, yeah, so it's obviously been pivotal 
to getting veganism on the map. I mean, Natalie Portman particularly, um, a number of years ago, she actually brought out her own shoe line um, as well for a, for, for a short while. So, you know, that, that's been incredible for the cause. And obviously it feels like more and more celebrities are jumping on, you know, jumping on this kind of, this kind of trend at the moment, which is, you know, it's just awesome. Obviously everyone is very upset at the moment with um, Ellen, DeGeneres, um, due to her Ed range, um, which I can, you know, obviously, you know, I understand it's, it is upsetting when somebody's kind of committed to something and it feels like, you know, they're, they're compromising their integrity of their ethics. However, the good thing that has come out of it is it has opened up the conversation again. Um, and obviously, you know, we're, we're in a vegan vegetarian community where everybody understands the kind of consequences of the leather industry. However, you know, many people do not understand and don't really think about footwear and don't really think about what even a vegan shoe is. So the fact that the media now is covering this, you know, the good thing that has come out of it is it is opening up a conversation about, oh, so we have an option. You mean there are options out there? Well, let's, let's back up a minute, Natalie, because um, I think a lot of our listeners are not vegan and, and don't know what we're talking about. Um, Ellen DeGeneres... Who, who identifies as vegan, and I know we could we could pick at the fine points like people <laughs> tend to do at other people that that she'll eat some eggs from her her neighbor's chickens and you know things like that. I think she is still very much more with us than against us. She's a fan of Main Street Vegan. I'm very very grateful for that. Um, but now she has a shoe line. And I'm unclear as to whether the shoes are all leather or have part leather. She did say, oh, well, they don't have that much leather. Although if you're the cow, it's quite a lot because it's your I whole think, life. I think, to be honest with you, an official, she hasn't actually come out with an official statement as of, you know, where she's, where she's standing on it. I mean, I think it may well even come out that it's been an oversight on her, on, you know, on her, you know, bit on her part or, you know, we, we don't know yet. And, you know, it's obviously upset a lot of people um, in the vegan community. Um, but like you said, she has done incredible things for veganism and she will continue to do incredible things for veganism and just for just, you know, letting people know about the other side of, you know, what the meat industry and what the leather industry are, are about, you know, and let people, obviously they're going to make their own informed choice. But when a celebrity like that steps in the limelight with these kinds of, um, you know, with this kind of um, ethical persuasion, if you like, it is in the limelight and people do want to discuss it and do want to talk about it. So I think, yeah, I, I think it's, it's amazing that Ellen has, you know, stood for the cause effectively all this time. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing. And I think one of the things that celebrities do for us is kind of, act as a mirror of ourselves because we all have holes in our ethics and holes in our values and places it's where we'll fixed. say, well, in, in this case, you know, yes. uh, whether it's about vegan values or, or, or something else. I think one of the things that a lot of people don't know about is, is the leather tanning industry, the leather tanning process and, and the human rights and the environmental uh, violations that, that go on with that. Can you address that? 
Well, quite. And, and, and that is actually a really, a very good point you've brought up. I mean, a lot of shoes around the world are now made in, in Asia. Um, and a lot of the leathers, in fact, a vast majority of cheap leathers come from Asia. And both the animal welfare, the human welfare, and the way that, that leather is tanned is pretty shocking because a lot of it's done in developing countries. So a lot of the, the affluent from, from, from tanneries mainly ends up in rivers, you know, tragically. Um, so there's, you know, there, there is a lot of fallout from the leather industry that, pe- that you don't kind of hear about. So regardless of the, of the animal side of the equation, it has a devastating impact on the environment. So, yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of things involved in it. Well, tell us about your production process. How does that differ? Okay, so in the last ten years, we have seen a dramatic increase in the amount of textiles that are coming through that are in innovative and sustainable. Um, we have we were the first we we're the first brand to introduce a, a brand of faux suede called Dynamica that is made from 100% PET recycled plastic bottle tops. Um, so it's it's an incredible material. It looks and feels just like real suede. It doesn't watermark. You can clean it up with a cloth. And Mercedes Benz and Jaguar are both using it for their high end car interiors because it's such a sustainable material. Now, these materials are coming through more and more. We've just found a PU, which is one of the big debates um, between kind of a leather and a non-leather shoe is the, is the uh, environmental debate of, you know, are petrochemicals worse than leather? Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, obviously, energy, you know, leather is incredibly energy intensive when you look at growing a cow. Um, to, to the full end product, and so are petrochemicals, obviously. And it was always a kind of a less, which one's the lesser of the two evil? Well, we've actually now sourced, and we're, we're launching it for spring sixteen. We've sourced a, a PU, which is like a faux leather effect material that's made from a hundred percent recycled PU, and it will have a. Uh, they've now in, introduced a, a vegetable polymer, which can create like a coating that looks like leather. So these are just what are coming out at the moment. I mean, I think in the next five years, we are going to see so many materials um, hitting the marketplace that will do a better job than leather, will have a better finish, that will have less impact on the planet. Um, and it's an exciting, these are exciting times for it. No, uh, absolutely. But I, I feel like we're, we're in the birth process of, of a whole new world in, in terms of, of fabrics and, and materials and 3D printing and all these amazing things that will just make everything better for the animals and, and the planet. Now, you you are located in the UK, and, and the, I'm going to give the website, but then also check out the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net slash blog. You'll see the show notes for the October 14 show. So the Beyond Skin uh, e-commerce store is beyondskin.co.uk, and you do ship around the world? We do, and we hope within the next six months to be opening a U.S. distribution um, hub. So watch this space, sign up to our newsletter, and that will be, that will be free returns in the future. Oh, wonderful. Well, whenever you have a U.S. space, I will come and try on your shoes. <laughs> Thank you so very much for all that you do for the world, for making veganism 
even more fashionable and elegant. Oh, and, thank you. and just for making our world gentler. Oh, thank you. Lovely talking to you. You too, Natalie. All the best. And listeners, stay with us. We're going to be talking with Katrina Fox. Maybe there's a shoe business in your future or who knows, some kind of business. Stay with us. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com. Amazon.com or your favorite bookseller. Just like life, grief is a journey, not a destination. Whether it is loss of life, relationship, security, or simply the process of change, have you given yourself permission to begin your journey of grief? Have you yielded to the gift of grace? Join Reverend Chaz Wesley every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central on a virtual navigation from grief to grace and explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'll light a candle in your name. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Main Street Vegan Show, although I feel like saying the High Street Vegan Show since uh, we're kind of in UK mode today. Although, actually, our next guest is from Australia. 
Now, I ran into her in the UK, and I'm actually going to be seeing her uh, again in New York shortly because she is doing a global tour with her new book, Vegan Ventures. But this is Katrina Fox. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her and then just, you know, kind of get your um, entrepreneurial uh, thinking cap on and see what might be happening in your future. Katrina Fox is an award-winning vegan journalist and animal advocate. She is originally from London, now residing in Sydney, Australia. She has over 17 years experience writing about social justice and animal advocacy for a diverse range of niche and mainstream media throughout the world. She's the founder and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, an online content hub for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Her brand new book, Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, has a foreword from Philip Wallen. You know Philip Wallen, the former Citibank VP there in Australia who made that incredible speech that just went viral and made thousands and thousands of, of vegans. And in this book, she has expert tips from over 60 business owners, entrepreneurs, and professionals. And I am so honored to say that I am in there among the 60s. Welcome, Katrina Fox. Hello, Victoria. Lovely to be speaking with you. <laughs> it is. It is. The last time we spoke was when you were interviewing me for the book to be, which is now very much a book and uh, certainly a, a beautiful one packed full of information. And as I leaf through, I keep seeing all these people that I either know or I've heard of or they've been on the show. And it just feels so good to be in this vegan community. It does. I love being in the vegan community. And I remember our interview, you very kindly got up at 6.30 in the morning to do a Skype interview with me. And I think that's very much um, indicative of, of the people that I interviewed. They were all incredibly generous, including yourself, with their insights um, in, you know, inspiring other people to start their own vegan businesses. So it is a wonderful community we're in. Well, and I think it's what goes around, comes around because you're up at midnight or 1 a.m. or something to do this interview. So thank you so much. So Katrina, just take us back in, in history. Have you always been a business person? How long have you been a vegan? Give us the background. Sure. Well, definitely no to the first question. Um, I come from more of an activist background um, and like similar to yourself, a writer. So more of a, a, an activist and creative background and almost pretty much anti-business, to be perfectly honest. Um, I thought that you had to be in one camp or the other. You could either be a creative or an activist and be broke. Or if you were in business, you were kind of evil and greedy and destroying the planet and harming people and animals. So I had a very negative um, view of business. And it wasn't until I really made the connection between all the wonderful vegan businesses there are that I'm, you know, buy my screaming red lipstick from or my um, shoes and clothes and accessories and, and, and food. And once I put that spin on it, I realized that um, being running a vegan business, you know, being a vegan entrepreneur is a form of animal rights activism. Once I reframed it that way, I then became passionately interested in it, which is why I started on this project, because I wanted to find out, you know, how do we start and grow a successful vegan run business? Because there are particular challenges and uh, things like that that are specific to running vegan businesses that are different to running ordinary businesses. 
Um, so I'm very excited to uh, have done all those interviews. And they were very extensive interviews. As you know, it wasn't just a handful of questions. You know, there were like three or four pages worth of in-depth questions. And all the people I spoke to were so generous. I mean, I did wonder if they would turn around and say, oh, we don't want to share our secrets, you know. Um, but they weren't at all. They were really generous and and wanting more vegan businesses in the world to, to make a difference. So I very much feel that biz- vegan businesses um, are definitely um, activists and that running such a business is a form of animal rights activism. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think people tend to frequent the businesses that are there. People buy books from Amazon because it's easy to just go there and click. People go into Starbucks because there's a Starbucks on every corner. If there was something else, if there was, you know, Valerie's vegan treats, people would wander into that. And I think the great excitement about vegan business is that we're not just going after vegans. If you've got a really good product, some kind of really tasty food, gorgeous shoes, whatever it is, then your audience is potentially the entire world, which is very thrilling. Absolutely, Victoria. And, you know, the people that I interviewed um, for the book, the majority of them, they some of them started out servicing the vegan community, particularly those that have been in business for a long time, you know, sort of a, a few decades and what have you. But a lot of them, and particularly the newer ones, they're saying, uh, one of them actually even says, you know what, I'm not marketing to vegans. I don't, you know, uh, vegans are sneaky and we'll find the, the good stuff anyway. She said the whole, you know, they said the whole point of opening these businesses is to uh, to make vegan mainstream um you know i want to walk along the high street um in the shopping malls at the airport and like you say you know be able to go in to have a, a, a store and a, a business that is run on vegan principles because we've come such a long way that there's no reason not to now you know you can have a, as we heard from natalie you know her beautiful shoes you can have the most stylish shoes wonderful fashions outrageously delicious decadent food you know everything can pretty much be veganized so i think we need to make it a no-brainer um for people to choose you know with all other things being equal price quality durability stylishness you know fabulousness um and why wouldn't people then choose you know the cruelty-free version um so i think you're absolutely right the the market for vegan products is very very broad and it's really important for us to to get our products out there to the mainstream Well, for sure. And that's where the problem lies, I think, sometimes with those of us who are saying, gosh, I'd love to do this. You know, so many people are are working in jobs that maybe they're not anti-vegan, but they don't celebrate (laughs) some of our ethical (laughs) um, ideas. And so I think so many vegans are just chomping at the bit to get out there and start something of their own. But as as we know, most new businesses don't make it. And so often people start out underfunded or they don't have the right information or the right mentoring. So let's just assume that, that we're talking today to a lot of people who are in this situation who would love to have their own business. Just start them at square one. What do they need to know? 
Okay, so you've raised some really important issues there when you said, you know, that people often they start out underfunded. So obviously, it's important to have a great idea. Very, very important to do your market research, particularly if you're going to open a business and you're predominantly going to be servicing your local area. It's really important to know, you know, what do people want? Will they buy what you've got? Because if you put something out there and nobody's buying it, you haven't got a business, you've got an expensive hobby. So very, very important to actually do your market market research. Um, in terms of funding, um, I often say start small. And, and that was certainly the advice that a lot of the vegan business owners that I interviewed for the book said, um, you know, if you've got uh, a great idea, you don't just quit your job, you know, unless you've got a lot of capital and invest or investment behind you, um, then it's best to hang on to your job, start your business, run it, you know, for, on weekends, perhaps if it's a market stall, or if it's an online business, you know, you, you run it in the evenings and outside your work hours, then perhaps you might be able to switch to part-time, you know, once the business has got some income coming in. And then eventually um, you could maybe turn that into full-time. But you're not stressing and worrying about the rent or the bills or anything. You know, you're, you're not coming from a place of desperation, which is, uh, you know, not a good place to be coming from because customers can sense that. Um, you know, really gather support. So we've obviously, vegan businesses have got nowadays that are starting up, they've got a new way of funding which wasn't available in the past which of course is crowdfunding which is a lot of work and uh, Demetrius Bagley um, has written a fabulous blog article on the vegan business media website all about how to crowdfund your vegan business um, but it's very worthwhile it's certainly another aspect that's not been open to to previous businesses so there are certainly ways to do it but I think the key things are do your research do your market research start small and grow and as you said you know find the mentors find out be very very educated get people invested into your business and i don't mean necessarily financially but get them sharing uh, about your stuff uh, you know be very engaged with your audience you know marketing has changed so much nowadays in that it's not just a case of you hang out your sign and say here's my stuff come buy it People want to know your story, your journey. You've got to be authentic and real with them. Um, and you build your tribe. Um, so they would be, those were the key recommendations that came through, um, the, the people, the interviewees, um, that I spoke with for the book. I want to ask you something about crowdfunding. I'm hearing from several people that crowdfunding may have peaked. I think that so many of us get so many requests that it's just overwhelming. And what started out as, a, <coughs> excuse me, like Kickstarter to start something, we're hearing from so many people who have businesses that aren't doing well, you know, help me bail out my business. And I think people are just saying, bail out your own business. So do you think crowdfunding is still viable or that we need to be looking at it in a different way? Yeah, that's an interesting point because I think with everything we kind of get burnt out. You know, when something's new and exciting, we're like, oh, this is great. And then when it kind of keeps going, we're kind of like, oh, what's next? Um, I did find something, uh, somebody uh, posted something recently on, I think it was Facebook, about a, a new type of crowdfunding where it's not just people, as you say, putting in money and bailing out a business. It's actually uh, uh, where you can 
buy, you put in money like you would crowdfunding, but you, it's actually a little mini loan. So instead of just giving the business your money and that's it, you never see it again, um, you actually put the money in. But then as the business grows, you actually get it back. And I think it's called like buying a square of a business. I can't remember the name of it, but it's a new thing that's coming in. So I, I'm wondering whether that might be the next new model where people are not just throwing money in just to help a business out and that's it, but they're putting the money in, but they are actually getting it back down the track. So I think that, that that's maybe a kind of perhaps the interesting or the next new thing that's going to be mm. happening. Well, this brings me to another question, Katrina. When technology is involved, there is always the next new thing. And I was talking to a a techie person, you know, about Periscope, and he was saying, oh, no, no, you don't want to do Periscope, you want to do Blab. And it's like, what is Blab? It's like, don't you want to do something people have heard of? But you really, I think for almost any business, even if it's not an online business per se, you've got to have technical expertise. So can you talk about that a little bit, particularly for people who might be, you know, in the kind of over 45 generation who didn't grow up with technology? How comfortable do we have to be and how much do we have to know? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think coming from my background, which is as a journalist, I trained as a print journalist, you know, so this was all pre-email and everything. And I know that when I started to see changes in my industry, and initially I was kind of like, oh, I don't want any of that Facebook social media stuff, blah, blah. Um, and then I, I realized that I had to get on board with it. You know, if I wanted to, uh, you know, keep earning uh, money, both as a journalist and then getting into content marketing, etc., then I had to become more technologically uh, savvy. Um, so I think it is important. I don't think any business owner nowadays can turn around and say, oh, I, I'm a dinosaur. I don't want to be involved in all that. Sure, you can hire people to help you. That, that, that's, that's fine and fair enough. But I think you've got to have a basic understanding of it. But I don't think you need to get overwhelmed by it. And it can be tempting to go, like you say, oh, there's a new um, uh, platform come out. I better be on that. Oh, and now there's another one. Because you, what you end up doing is you just end up being a bit mediocre on loads of platforms rather than picking one or two where your clients are, where your customers are. I think that's really important. Um, and being good at that and, you know, mastering that, that those kind of platforms. Because at the end of the day, if you're on Facebook – specifically to or not facebook but social media i say facebook because i like facebook best of all um you know to find out where your customers are so it's not just where you want to be but where are your customers and your clients hanging out um because the idea is to engage them rather than try and be across every single social media platform and run your business at the same time well we have a difference of opinion fellow vegan (laughs) I don't like Facebook at all. I just like it. I don't like it. I like Twitter a lot and I like Instagram. Facebook annoys me, especially with the, the algorithms that have come up in the past couple of years. So that if you have a business page on Facebook, they just don't show your posts to, to most people. And, you know, they want you to buy ads and that. And even that just expands it to a certain point that there's no way that you can post something. And if you have, you know, let's just say 5,000 followers that, that you know that 5,000 people could see that. So how, how does one get around that? How do you use Facebook effectively for a business? 
It's very true, uh, Victoria, that is. And I know Facebook has annoyed a lot of people. And I feel particularly sorry for people who have spent, you know, businesses or, you know, uh, who have spent a long time building up tens of thousands of followers. And now their posts are only getting um, shown to a small number of people. And a similar things happen with Google. Um, you know, a lot of people had a free ride on organic listings. And now, of course, they've changed their algorithms and, and completely, uh, you know, upset a lot of people. Um, but I, I, I think, I mean... I think it's still important for for business to to be on Facebook if that's where their clients are. And I I do stress that um, because it might not be that your clients are on Facebook. I think there are other ways for businesses to engage on Facebook, though, and one of them is within groups. Um, So joining as your personal profile, joining groups where your target market hangs out and contributing and engaging, that seems to be the new thing at the moment, Facebook groups rather than pages. Um, So I, I personally prefer facebook just and it's interesting because a lot of journalists prefer twitter um but twitter annoys me um i don't <laughs> mind because of the summary of it i like to see the the train of thought etc so i actually use a mixture of my personal profile on facebook as well as the the public pages by you know being active in those groups and engaging and letting people know um you know that you're the expert in in that field so i think we have to uh, you know, you you can't really sort of go, oh, you can be upset, but at the end of the day, you kind of go, okay, well, how do I get around it? And I think with Facebook, and I think Twitter's happening now, Twitter's starting to get advertising, I believe Instagram is. So it's all gradually becoming pay to play. And as much as that's frustrating, I think business owners actually do need to put aside a little bit of a budget um, to in order to promote some of their posts. I mean, I know that we're talking about VegFest UK, and I know that Tim Barford, who um, I interviewed for the book he says he gets very good results um, and doesn't mind paying facebook because you know he would pay somewhere else to advertise so he's quite happy paying to advertise veg fest uk on facebook so i think we do have to you know we can grumble a bit and say oh it's not like it was um but um you know we we, we have to get on board with that and um yeah do put aside a little bit of a budget but also start joining facebook groups and participating that way as well Mm-hmm. So while we're on social media, you talk a lot in the book about social media do's and don'ts. So give us some some tips. What can we do to make ourselves nice and friendly and popular on social media? And what could we do to become a Facebook persona known grata? Mm. So, <laughs> well, I think the key thing is around in all marketing, actually, particularly in in, uh, in social media, but in all marketing, it's the buzzword is authenticity um, to be real. Um, it, as I mentioned before, you know, it's we can no longer just broadcast. Hey, here's my stuff. It's cool. You should buy it. People are not interested in that anymore. The way that consumers that, as we as consumers buy is very, very different. We really want to have a connection with a brand. Um, so people wanted to know the face behind the brand. So I think you need to engage, particularly social media. The key is very much to engage. Don't just broadcast and leave. Um, you know, if someone takes the time to leave a comment on your social media page, make sure you respond to that. Um, you know, because people really, that, that way people feel connected to you. And when they're in the market to buy what you're offering, they're far more likely to buy from you because they feel a connection with you. Um, so definitely uh, don't just broadcast but engage they're the key things be authentic and be real 
and also engage with other influencers. So engage with other people in your industry so that you can get a win-win happening. So like and comment on their posts as well. Don't be afraid also to share other people's content. Sometimes businesses, you know, can be a bit insular and think, oh, I don't want to share someone else's business. You know, I should just share my stuff. But that's not true at all. You're, you're far better sharing other people's posts and occasionally sharing your own stuff with a little bit of promo um, than just putting a loads of salesy posts. I mean, I know, for example, one of the people I interviewed, um, uh, Justin Mead from Vegan Style, which is a vegan shoe brand in Australia, him and his partner foster cats, and they post about their foster cats. And those pictures those images and posts get far more engagement than hey we've got a sale on but because those promotional posts are interspersed with all these fabulous uh, posts about the cats you know people do respond to that brand so when they want to buy a pair of shoes they're going to go oh yeah i'm going to go to vegan style because yeah that's the cat brand kind of thing so i think you've got to be um be quite clever and creative in the way that you do social media marketing because people want engagement they want conversations and they absolutely want authenticity and how much is too much i think of this especially on twitter you know occasionally i have unfollowed people not because i didn't like what they were posting but just because they were posting so much of it so is there any sort of sweet spot that you'd recommend for how much how often yeah, it's an interesting one. It's important, and I get what you mean. I, I, and I've had that before, where you know you see so and so has posted, and it's like every few minutes. So um, I think you have to test it. I mean, the important thing with any marketing is test and measure, because some markets may like quite a lot of uh, engagement or a lot of tweets from uh, people that they follow, and others not so much. So I think you do need to test and measure. Obviously, you don't want to be bombarded, but if you're if you're posting really cool stuff and interesting stuff then, you know, your followers might be quite happy with you posting um, a bit more often. Um, so I don't know. That, I think it all depends on your industry, on the type of stuff that you're posting. But I guess you have to have some kind of middle ground where you're not completely bombarding them, but you're not too sparse either, particularly on something like Twitter, because on Twitter, you know, something flashes and then it's gone. Um, so I think you do have to uh, see what's happening and see how often uh, people are engaging and also what kind of content people are engaging with. Because, you know, we see these accounts with lots and lots of Twitter followers but very, very little engagement. Um, and I think that's that's a real alarm bell, particularly for businesses and brands. If you're not getting a lot of favorites or retweets, um, or likes, you know, look at the, look at that and fix it and, and, and post more of the content that is getting the engagement, uh, from your people. Oh, it takes so much brain power. I'm so happy that you're here with this wonderful book. And something that's very interesting as I listen to you, Katrina, is you really are walking the talk because I get guests sometimes on this podcast and if they've written a book, they'll say, well, I actually talk about that in my book, you know, on chapter whatever. And the reason that I wrote the book, and as I say in my book, and if you'll just buy my book... And sort of like, excuse me, where did you see the word infomercial? And so you're doing just, I think, really uh, teaching by, by doing that you're giving people a lot of valuable information and you certainly don't seem like you're sitting down there in Australia thinking, oh my gosh, am I giving too much away? What if people don't buy my book? So that makes me want to tell people, Buy this book, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. 
you can find that everywhere that books are sold and you might be able to run into Katrina on her touring. So let's see if this show goes live on October 14th. Is uh, New York your last book tour stop remaining? Um, for the US, it is Victoria. Yes, it's on the 19th of October, and I'm delighted that you'll be emceeing uh, the event at Candle Cafe West between 4.30 and 6 p.m. I'm so excited. Um, I love New York, and I'm I'm really looking forward to that launch. And Jane Velez Mitchell is guest speaking, which is wonderful because she's my favorite journalist, very inspirational. I very much look up to her. And also David Benzaquin from uh, Plant-Based Solutions, who's got extensive business expertise. And, and, and just in in regards to what you said, because um, I'm a journalist, I know not to go on someone's show and sell. It's really annoying. And just a little media tip for, you know, anybody who is um – looking to get media for their business or their cause is, you know, don't expect journalists to do PR for you because that's not their job. It's very much, you know, have a great conversation, give them a, a story that will be interesting to their audience. So I, I'm glad you said that. And I'm absolutely delighted to share the information um, and the contribute, you know, the interviewees information, because the book is very much a collaboration. I couldn't have done the book without, you know, having the support and interviewing the wonderful people who are out out there running these amazing businesses. So I really want to get their insights out there as well. Well, I want to ask you about some of these people. Of the people with whom you spoke, is anybody running just a really odd kind of business, just something that you would not have thought about? That's a good question. I think the one that jumps to mind, actually, is a chap called Kevin Newell, and he runs a business called uh, Humane Wildlife Solutions in the UK. And I believe they are the only, uh, like, cruelty-free, humane uh, pest control. And we put pest, the word pest in uh, quotes because, obviously, we as vegans and, and animal advocates don't consider uh, any animals to be pests. But um, he he's, uh, saw a gap in the market, um, which is wonderful, and his business is really taking off in that, you know, if people have got issues, you know, with uh, what they consider pests, they now have an option of non-lethal um, solutions to, you know, um, sort out their potential problems without actually harming the animals, which is wonderful. Um, so I was really delighted to find out about his business. Um, I'd say he's probably the, the one that I was surprised about because I think most of the interviewees, you know, they some had products and services, you know, fashion, food, etc. Some service-based industries like health coaching, like the wonderful JL Fields, who's a graduate of your fantastic Main Street Vegan Academy. Um, uh, but yeah, Kevin's was, um, I think, probably the most unique and pleasantly surprising one. <laughs> That That is really a great idea, and it's obviously a need. I mean, my husband and I always have these philosophical discussions like, yes, well, we're vegan, and we don't believe in killing anybody. And if a bug gets in the house, we carry it out. But if we had an infestation, we'd call the exterminator. And and if we lived in England, I guess we could call Kevin. So that's really cool. And, and you have some other businesses that I just want to mention some of the the breadth and, and depth that's represented in this book. So you have Sharon Gannon of Jiva Mukti Yoga, who's been a, a guest on the show. Um, you've got uh, Kezia from Evolutus PR, uh, a vegan public relations firm out there in California. You have a uh, Plamel Foods. Now this is from yes. the UK. They <laughs> had a a plant milk. They they had a milk for vegans 
way back and oh my gosh yeah. the 70s maybe earlier even more earlier they, yeah they, they're fascinating i first discovered plamel when i went vegan and they did the most amazing chocolate that was like close to to dairy in taste but their history is amazing they actually got together and started um to think about putting out a plant-based milk actually in uh, the late 40s oh, um when with donald watson <laughs> who is the founder i know it's amazing the founder of the vegan society in the uk is donald watson they had conversations with him and they talked about it for quite a few years and their uh, Adrian Ling was uh, the the founder and he uh, sorry um Arthur Ling um is the founder I met him in the UK in the 90s and his son Adrian is now managing director and he was saying you know they they talked about it for quite a lot but it was actually in the 60s when they first actually formed the company um and put this plant-based milk out and now of course they do wonderful products they're actually a chocolate factory I mean how cool is that wow. um, you know they, they they make all these amazing non-dairy products and they've been around for such a long time and you know that's just uh, and I, I we mentioned earlier about how you know people will buy from you because they have a connection with you I will buy a Plamel chocolate even though there's lots of other brands around and I'll buy them too but I buy Plamel because I know they're inspiring history and I want to support that. That's so cool. And I see here you also have interviewed uh, Seth Tibbet from Tofurky. And, I mean, I've been having Tofurky for Thanksgiving ever since Tofurky was invented. <laughs> I, it was Tofurky that freed me from the lentil loaf <laughs> for decades. Every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every Easter. What are we having, Mom? Lentil loaf. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just, That's it's funny. wonderful to kind of, you know, I think a lot of us grew up with the giant corporate brands and we saw all those commercials on television. And, and so we developed a kind of, of uh, loyalty to some of these companies that even if we found out later that their, their animal practices, their human rights practices, maybe their corporate ethics were not something that we'd want to support. We still felt kind of comfort with them. And it's so easy to develop that really quickly with some of these vegan companies because we just know that we're sharing a vision for a better world. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And what I love about uh, Seth is he's this wonderful, colorful character. And he actually said in the interview with me that, um, you know, he tried to be this, you know, straight corporate conservative businessman. And when he finally freed himself and let his personality come through, that reflected in the Tofurky brand. And people were, you know, making jokes about well, what does a Tofurky look like in the wild, which is, you know, really <laughs> fun. Um, I had my first piece of Tofurky just three years ago. I, I was staying in LA with my lovely friend Karen Dawn who's an amazing animal advocate oh, and she is. my first ever Thanksgiving and she invited me around to her house I stayed with her there was like 12 people around and it was so amazing so you know these kind of products as you say they make such a difference and they do free us up like you say from you know the salad or the potatoes and not that there's anything wrong with salad and potatoes but you know it's nice to have something like you know that amazing and and how wonderful is it that these kind of brands have lasted you know to Furkies, I think recently celebrated its 20 years uh, which is wonderful to see and of 
course, we've got all these new brands coming up as well now and really, mm-hmm. um, you know, making a difference um, for people to, to to have these alternatives, you know, to have these cruelty-free and animal-free alternatives. It's so exciting. I was really excited listening to Natalie. You know, all these amazing developments in, uh, you know, uh, sustainable, ethical, non-leather that's good for people, animals and planet. I mean, I just love that. I was so excited to hear about that. Well, I'm beginning to see with the clothing that it's a little bit like the food. Sometimes you'll see vegan slapped on a product just the way they slap gluten-free on everything as a positive, as a selling point. And I think it's becoming that way with, with the clothing as well, which is, is pretty exciting. So, yeah. So those of us who are in in business, in vegan business, need to brand ourselves as something. I mean, we know Tofurky for the Tofurky, but then he's expanded out and they have wonderful sausages and, and other kinds of things. So how does one brand oneself in a way that allows for growth and expansion, but that also gives you, oh, yeah, that's the brand? And I mean, I think when we look out in the big world, we see somebody like Coca-Cola, I mean... (laughs) love it or hate it, they've got the branding thing down. How do we do that? Oh, that's such a good question, Victoria. And you're right. You know, we do sort of look to these companies, which, you know, are not necessarily um, so ethical, but they have got it down with with the branding. Obviously, they've got, you know, a lot of dollars, etc. But I think small business owners can actually do that. I think the important thing is, is to Remember what, or have a mission. So you're not just starting up a business and selling a product just because you want to make money. Of course, it's important and you've got to make a profit. As I say, otherwise it's not a business. But I think you have to come back to your why. You know, what is your greater mission? What is your purpose in the world? And how then does your business tie into that? Um, so I think you also need to have your, your personal brand and your business brand. Um, and one of the fabulous interviewees who I really do want to acknowledge um, is Stephanie Red Cross from Vegan Mainstream. Um, she was very generous in her insights and she talked about, um, you know, how the difference between personal brand and business brand and sometimes not to confuse your customers um, with the two. So I think you need to figure out, you know, how do you stand out? How are you different in the marketplace? Because before, um, you know, before all these um, vegan products and services came up, you might have been the only vegan mayonnaise or the only vegan shoe brand but now you're actually competing in some ways with other vegan products and services so you've really got to come up with you know what is your why what is your mission and how do you stand out what are you doing differently um and to create from there and i think you're a wonderful example of that victoria because you've got your main street vegan academy but you've it comes under the umbrella of the main street vegan enterprises which allows you to do all these other fabulous projects like your miss liberty film and your your podcast that we're on now and your book so i think it is important to to think along those lines so uh to think about in the beginning you know how might you see your business developing um and to figure out and work with a branding consultant is probably a good idea as well but to so you're actually building in that future growth Katrina, you know so much. I wish that when you came to New York for the October 19th Candle Cafe West um, book launch that you're doing here, that I could just follow you around and maybe soak up information (laughs) from your aura. That would be wonderful. So New Yorkers, October 19th, that is 430 Candle Cafe West. 
show up. We'll all be there. And then you have a, a Melbourne launch, uh, November 1st, World Vegan Day at the Melbourne Showgrounds. And you can find out all these things and you can read more about the book, uh, but just order the book. But you can also read more about all this at veganbusinessmedia.com and just check out Vegan Ventures online. It's going to be vegan, I guess, hyphen ventures. But go to veganbusinessmedia.com and you'll find everything that you need to know. And we'll also put that information in the show notes. Katrina, I could talk to you for the rest of the day, or I guess in your case, the rest of the night. But thank you so much for all this wonderful information. You're doing such great work in the world. Oh, thank you so much, Victoria. It's absolutely delightful chatting with you. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing you in New York. (laughs) Ah, me too. So Beyond Skin, check out the wonderful shoes, veganbusinessmedia.com and the book, Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Think about that. Ah, (laughs) you never know what's in your future. Everybody, thank you so much for being part of the Main Street Vegan family. Thanks to Unity Online Radio and our engineer, Jeff Comfort. God bless you and eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Somewhere, tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio, the teachings of Unity's founders, almost a 100 years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, For Unity Classic Radio, words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio, words from our past, every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, Right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. In quiet moments of prayer, let go of any concern. Anchor your trust deep in the realization that with God all things are possible. Never doubt it for a single moment. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity.
truly understand the laws of the universe and live a life based on these profound and unwavering truths, then your dream life starts today. No more waiting. No more wandering. If you're ready to let go of the striving and move into the allowing, you are ready for everyday attraction on Unity Online Radio. We study the teaching of Abraham given to us by beautiful Esther Hicks so we can release confusion for clarity, exchange struggle for serenity, and have the time of our lives today. Join host Ray Zander every Friday at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Unity Online Radio for Everyday Attraction, where the law of attraction gets real. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.